Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Anne's newspapers. For this episode, we are so happy to welcome our guest, Catherine Cowley. An author, blogger, and teacher, Catherine first read Pride and Prejudice when she was 10 years old, sparking a lifelong obsession with Jane Austen. In addition to teaching writing classes at Western Michigan University, she also created Jane Austen Writing Lessons, which was selected by The Right Life as one of the top 100 websites for writers in 2021. Her debut novel, The Secret Life of Miss Mary Bennett, was published in April of 2021 by Thule Publishing, with the second and third books in the series scheduled to come out later this year. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. It's great to be here. So the scene we are talking about today is from the novel Persuasion. We are early on in the novel, and Anne has learned that the Crofts, relatives of Captain Wentworth, one of the best couples in all of Austin, please, <laughs> let's be real, they may be renting Kellen Hall. We then get a description from the narrator of Anne and Wentworth's courtship, their short-lived engagement, and of how Anne kept tabs on Wentworth after he had gone back to sea. Basically, we're learning about Anne's interest in Navy lists and newspapers, and you can just kind of imagine the sad music playing in the background while all of this is happening. <laughs> the montage that goes behind mm-hmm. this scene that's, that's coming from the book. <laughs> it really is a sad montage moment, for sure. So here is the section from, from the text. He had, very soon after their engagement ceased, got employ, and all that he had told her would follow had taken place. He had distinguished himself, and early gained the other step in rank, and must now, by successive captures, have made a handsome fortune. She had only navy lists and newspapers for her authority, but she could not doubt his being rich, and, in favor of his constancy, she had no reason to believe him married. She is like watching his career from afar and then also being like, yeah, he's still not married. Maybe I'm in with a chance. Maybe. <laughs> and that's kind of the scene that, that's setting us up. So before we dive into our questions for you, Catherine, we're going to do a little bit of kind of quick context work on what Navy lists and newspapers are kind of referring to here. So the Navy lists, like the popular publication Steele's Navy List, provided information on officers who served in the Navy, generally listed alphabetically and according to rank. It might also have had like tidbits about the state of the ships and the pay scales. And we kind of see that in in Persuasion later. The newspapers, in addition to covering larger battles, obviously, that would be happening during the Napoleonic Wars, often had sections called ship news that covered arrivals and departures as well as any ships lost at sea. So these are the things that Anne is tracking in the passes that we've got here and, and, and waiting for, for more news about Captain Wentworth. It's just the saddest montage. I could just see her pouring over these newspapers, <laughs> and just looking for every little detail. With the violins. We've got oh, yes. the violins. Yes, absolutely. And I also imagine this, like her scrapbooking this, right? You know, like she's got like all of her clippings of news about oh, what's no. happening. Oh, no. You know, it's, it's possible. In my head, that's how this goes. The pining. It's, it's intense. So, Catherine... Can you talk to us a little about the state of newspaper reading at this time, especially as regards the general interest in the news of the day with the Napoleonic Wars going on? Was this something that everybody was engaging with and talking about? Yeah, so I've actually read hundreds, literally hundreds of newspapers from 1813, 1814, and 1815. You'd think it would be a bad habit, but it was just book research. (laughs) 
So I've read way too many newspapers from the time period. And really, we just see the Napoleonic Wars constantly in it. Now, newspapers were everywhere at the time, kind of like the internet's everywhere now. So people would buy their own newspapers, they would read them, give them to their friend. Newspapers, you could get them in any pubs, or as they like to say, public houses. (laughs) (laughs) They had newspapers at all the libraries. You have these subscriptions, because you don't want just your local newspaper. People wanted to know from all the other newspapers, because they had kind of like you know, reprints, obviously, where the article appears in the Times in London, and then it appears in the other newspapers. But all the other newspapers are trying to grab their inside scoop. So they're printing opinion pieces from experts. They're printing, hey, someone from our town wrote a letter. And now we have this inside scoop on this battle that's happening. So we're going to print this. So there was different things in all the newspapers. And you also had things like Napoleon In 1813, he sends out these pamphlets trying to get all the British people to give up and just say, hey, we'll take you in France and we'll pay you for your horses and your guns. Well, this gets actually put and reprinted in the newspapers in England. So it's just everywhere. And if you look kind of the the standard newspaper, there were exceptions, is kind of a four page spread. So you've got your front, you've got your two page middle, and you've got your back. And with a few exceptions, almost every newspaper had multiple articles every day on Napoleon Bonaparte, the state of the war, you've got the ships. This is just a constant state of discussion. There was very different feelings towards the war. We have like the anti-Gallican monitor, which was a newspaper that was started just to be anti-France. And then we had other newspapers like Cobet's Weekly Political Register, which were like published by the radicals and they're publishing articles. Why are we at war with France? Why are we sinking our money? Is this a just cause? You had this constant debate. It's happening all over the country. And the newspapers weren't just read by men, even though that's kind of, we have this like stereotype, oh, only men in the past read newspapers. No, if you look at the ads, so many of them are targeted towards women. You know, so clearly they knew their readership included a lot of women. I love, Catherine, that you're also talking about the paratext, the stuff that's going on outside of just the articles. These these paratexts can tell you so much about the consumers and the cultural moment. And I love that reference too that you made about about kind of like, you know, ab- abandon your British regiment and come over to, to France and, and we'll pay you. And the fact that like that British papers would be reprinting that. I know that that's a detail that you put you put in your in your book as well. So I know that that's one that really stood out to you. But yeah, that idea that, that Napoleonic wars are kind of tangible everywhere that you go because of these newspapers. Well, and they're also reprinting Anytime that they can get a hold of a French newspaper or a Dutch newspaper or a Swedish newspaper, if one of these newspapers said something about the war, even if they knew it was lies, even if they know the French paper said, Napoleon is sitting here and having parties and all the British generals are like, no, he was actually at this battle and then he ran away, you know, but they'll reprint the French newspapers even when the, and they'll just translate it and reprint it even when other articles directly contradict it because we want to know what the French are saying too. So with all of this information kind of just in the air, what sort of reports of the Navy would Anne and others have been reading in the papers? Like this would be about battles. You know, what what kind of additional information? What would this also include things like leave time? What kind of information would Anne be getting out of these newspapers? Yeah. What is she able to document in her scrapbook? There was a lot. And but it was a lot. It's a it's hard work because, as I said, you know, it's, it's occurring across multiple newspapers to track this. You have to do your homework. But really, there, there was a lot of detail, you know, so especially if someone's an officer 
you can follow their career and you can figure out, oh, now their ship is in repairs. Well, that means that they're back until they get a new ship, which is kind of hard to find because we keep blowing them up and getting holes in them, you know, or we capture some French ships and then use them as British ships or until they fix his ship. And so you could actually kind of follow, okay, this ship's been damaged. You know, so obviously battles are going to go in there. There'll be reports of numbers of deaths, captures. They really could make a fortune. So if you're in the army, you're not going to make a fortune off of this. You'll get paid. But if you're in the Navy and you capture a ship and you're an officer of a certain rank, you're actually going to get a percentage of the money. So it's basically like piracy in the name of your country. So basically we were letting them capture. We, the British, I'm not British. (laughs) I'm going to pretend to be British, even though I clearly am not. You know, we're saying go out and capture these ships. And oh, we get this nice ship. Now we can use it. Even the small details were included in these Navy lists. So, I mean, the Navy lists go way more in depth, but even the normal newspapers, you're getting these things. So, for example, there was a quote from the Times about a battle that didn't even happen. It says, during the last week, the French fleet have been observed to venture farther out to sea than they have ever been in the habit of doing before. But as soon as the English fleet stands in toward them, a few of their ships lie too until we arrive within a gunshot and a half of them. And I just love that because there's this sense of we're even printing when we're not fighting, but we're just close to it. And the sense of the tension and that we're watching this, we're waiting, anticipating to see what's going to happen. Particularly with persuasion, we get this initial kind of moment where, where, where we know that Anne has been tracking his career. But it's even interesting once he's, he's at Uppercross with the Musgroves and things like that, we actually get him kind of helping the Musgrove sisters kind of track his career as well, because they're they're interested because their brother, Dick, which is hilarious. One of the best jokes in all of literature. Sorry. <laughs> so good. Their brother, Richard, or, or as they call him, uh, Dick, who's not a great sailor, was with Wentworth for a while. And so they're helping him. And he's, he's like, yeah, let me show you the Laconia. They pull out the lists and he actually walks them through some of the, the details about the Laconia, his, his ship. So it's really, really interesting that we actually see live, as it were, you know, in the text, how this kind of like tracking of the ship is happening not just in the newspapers but also in these in these navy lists as well so i think what you're talking about there catherine makes a lot of sense in that any details are up for grabs when it comes to just tracking the information well you and i love with that scene that you brought up because you kind of get the sense that the musgrove sisters they haven't been following this as well as they should despite their brother having been involved like they don't know where to go and you kind of have Anne sitting there watching this and Anne would have been able to find this by herself. Right? But yeah, I think I think you're right, Catherine, that it's like it it's very clear that they're having to try and be like, oh yeah, we we do have a brother who served, you know, like, oh yeah. But there is this this very clear Anne's watching, yes, I know what's going on. But but I I like that you point out that it's almost like a tutorial on like how to seek out information. If you haven't been following it, here's how you would do it. An interesting way of looking at that particular scene. It is interesting how these accounts from the newspaper and these Navy lists do inform our understanding of these specific characters. I mean, Anne, obviously, right, pining away, (laughs) reading through these newspaper accounts. But like you said, like the Musgrove sisters, maybe not paying as much attention (laughs) as they should. They're paying attention now that there's a hot naval officer around (laughs) and they're kind of like, oh, I need to act like I'm really interested in his profession. With so many of these details in Austin's work, right, it does tell us a lot about the characters that she's writing about. So I'm curious, Catherine, again, being so familiar with the newspapers of the time, if you have any thoughts on that. 
what's interesting about Anne to me is that the newspapers and the ship list, they are her only access. You get someone like Fanny Price in Mansfield Park, and she has a direct access. And there's actually this great moment where she gets a letter and then Henry Crawford is running to town that day. He's seen the newspaper. He knows an update about her brother. He's so excited to tell her so that way he can be the bearer of good news because that's going to help give him points, right? And she's already gotten a letter because her brother wrote to her this quick, like two sentence letter in port. And so she already knows. And he's so disappointed because he was going to tell her. But Aeon doesn't have that access. She's not engaged. She's not married. She has no direct access. She has to rely on this versus the Musgrove sisters. Like you get the sense that the parents were following the newspapers more, but they had direct access. They had letters, you know, so they had the personal, even if, you know, their brother's maybe not the most amazing person, but. Well, and I love also, you know, that, that reference that you make in Mansfield Park, not only does she have to direct access in terms of, you know, her brother, her brother is at sea, but also that her family is based in Portsmouth, which is obviously a port town. The moment that she comes home to Portsmouth, for example, that's all anybody's talking about is the ship news, right? That's all her her brothers are talking about. That's all her dad's talking about. So by, yeah, talking about Anne in this particular context where she has no real vantage point, we're seeing that the, all of her information and the information that she clearly knows and has, has to come from, like you said, this really meticulous hunting down details because she's you know, Kellen Hall isn't near a port. She's having to do this this groundwork. Well, and you know, Sir Walter does not care. He's not following any of this. This is not something that they're talking about at dinner or anything like that. So yeah, I think you can really imagine that for someone like Anne in the situation that she's in, that every little scrap of information is going to be precious, right? That's right. Catherine, I would love to hear what you think about, about as a kind of a, a really peripheral character, but we do get Mrs. Harville as a character here who her, her husband is off on these ships, what would it have been like for her as as a wife of a sea captain in order to get that information as well? Well, I mean, for her, there's going to be this extra weight because there is this bigger risk of loss because the news that you hear could be the worst news anytime because there are, as you read, you're like, wow, and we lost 70 men in that battle and we lost this captain and oh, this person got promoted because someone died. And so there's going to be a lot of extra anxiety, you know, if your husband goes off to sea. And I mean, we have the Crofts and actually Admiral Crofts take Mrs. Croft goes with him. She loves going out on the sea. She loves being on the ships, but not every woman did that. And, you know, only a limited number could on each ship. And so, yeah, for Mrs. Harville, you know, there's got to be this tension, this kind of anxiety of we don't know the outcome of the war. It's really easy looking back to be like, well, of course, Napoleon would be defeated. Well, millions of people died, literally millions. Part of that was due to starvation and famine that but also so many died just through direct battles on land and on sea that you know people that have died. You know that any day you could get that news. Well, I think it's, again, that juxtaposition with Mrs. Croft. You know, she's able to, she's next to him. She's able to be, to be there with him versus a Mrs. Harville, who they also have small children. So that's, I'm sure that's part of it as well, that she's staying home to take care of their kids. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too that, you know, because we do have the three captains, right? We have Captain Bennick. Harville and, and Wentworth, and they all go to sea with like different personal situations, right? Captain Wentworth is free and easy, as it were, and, you know, in terms of a, a bachelorhood, but he's out to prove himself. Harville is out there because he's got a family to support. But then we also have Bennick, who is engaged to, to Captain Harville's sister. He's out there trying to make his fortune so that he can come home and marry 
that means that there are three different women back home waiting for that news. Anne, who has no direct contact. Mrs. Harville, who does, but then also the sister Fanny Harville, who is kind of waiting in the same kind of context. But it's it's really interesting that there's, we've, we've got specifically three identifiable women who are invested in those naval careers in that kind of way. Well, it's just so co- interesting in the context of Jane herself in that two of her brothers were in the Navy. Right. And often, you know, you have a family and often, especially the younger brothers, they have to make their fortune somehow. And the Navy was a good way to do it. So we have Francis Austin, and he's just a year and a half older than Jane. So if you think about, okay, that is, he's 18 months older than her about, and he joined the Navy at 12 years old. So Jane would have seen her brother leave when she was 10 and a half years old. I mean, that's, that's going to have an impact on you. And then her brother, Charles was three years, three and a half years younger than her. And so he also joined the Navy at age 12. They often join the Navy very young for some of them. And, you know, they're starting low, but it gives them time to build up. So Jane would have been 15 and a half. Her formative years being shaped specifically by this naval action and and trying to find out what's going to happen with her brothers. Well, and what was crazy is like, you think, okay, it takes time. However long it takes to get from wherever the ships are off of France to England, then we'll have the news. But that's not how it happened. You know, so what happens? So a big battle happens. And then sometimes three days later, sometimes a week later, sometimes two and a half weeks later, we get the first report of that in the news. And then that battle keeps being reported for the next sometimes two to eight weeks where new information is added, where they have just a fraction of the news. And so if you read a newspaper, say you pick up the newspaper on you know February 14th, 1814, well, you're going to have some reports that are dated, especially things like ship news, that are dated January 1st, January 8th. And so you have all these references. We're so used to this 24-hour news cycle where it's just constant news. And then even before that, you know, telegrams where you're used to like, well, once a day, we will know what happens and we will have the truth versus it's this constant unraveling where the views of a single event keep being added to and evolving because they sometimes only have just a three line note. And so they know there was this battle. They know this group won and they don't know who died. And then we start finding that out later. And so it's just constantly evolving, which adds maybe to the anxiety. And that, I think, reframes the fortitude that, that Anne has in getting her information from these newspapers, again, the idea that that it's not just finding accounts of these things, but the fact that she's having to also piece together the news from a month past. I, I mean, I, I don't know that I had particularly picked up that nuance before, that she's having to parse things together a month after she finds out that there's been a conflict that Wentworth has been involved in. And she doesn't know for sure if he's alive or dead after the conflict. And it could be a month before she gets any kind of concrete detail on that. Obviously, that's that. That's for Anne, the character herself, but just what everyone that had a, a naval, anybody who's serving in the military. I mean, the the context on that is is huge. That the constant state of anxiety. Well, and and for this reason, we'll skip ahead a little bit after the end of the book. So people have made estimates based off of the dates that are used in persuasion. You could say, okay, we know when they started renting the house. We know when the Crofts started renting the house. That's very clear because we know the rent dates and there's a reference. Okay, we know when Christmas happened. We know, okay, there's a reference to this many days later. So we have these estimates uh, that people have put together to try to figure out when the book ends. And a lot of these estimates put it a day or two before Napoleon escapes. And so you have the book ending. I kind of want to go to the last line of the book. Please do. 
Anne was tenderness itself, and she had the full worth of it in Captain Wentworth's affection. His profession was all that could ever make her friends wish that tenderness less. The dread of a future war, all that could dim her sunshine. She gloried in being a sailor's wife, but she must pay the tax of quick alarm for belonging to that profession, which is, if possible, more distinguished in its domestic virtues than in its national importance. But we have this sense of the dates put it that this book ends right before Napoleon Bonaparte escapes and starts another big to-do. And Jane Austen knows this when she's writing this. She's writing this after the fact. And she's put some of these dates and these markers in that make it pretty clear this is about when it lines up. But the characters don't know this. And the novel ends with the sense that the tax of quick alarm. Now, fortunately for Captain Wentworth and for Anne, the Navy did not play a part after Bonaparte escaped. You know, so Anne is safe. Captain Wentworth is safe. They didn't end up using the Navy to fight the Battle of Waterloo. But there's still this anxiety, you know, to be the wife of an officer. And what you actually have, there's this account of a woman at the Battle of Waterloo. And she runs out on the battlefield. And then she gets hit. I think it was in the leg. And she still drags her husband off the battlefield to the hospital tents that are behind the battle. Because... She knows if her husband sits there for 12 hours, he's going to die versus if she can get him to the hospital, he might make it. So this like this extreme anxiety that you have because the consequences are life and death. Well, this always makes me think of the fact that obviously we love Captain Wentworth. We love Anne. We love the two of them together. You know, one true pair, et cetera, et cetera. So please don't send me emails. But, <laughs> but I do think... I mean, her motives might have been more on the materialistic side, but I think looking at a character like a Lady Russell, who is telling Anne, you know, when they first get engaged, like, again, some of her motivations there are perhaps more about Anne not throwing herself away on like this mere naval officer. But there's also the reality of the situation of, yeah, she could have married him quite young when Wentworth was still like engaged in these active combat against Napoleon, like you said. And if he's injured he can't go to sea anymore, or if he is killed, she's very easily left in a situation where she's at home with however many children, potentially, and no way to support herself. And there's even at near the end, you know, obviously, Anne has had to deal with her own, like, do I regret this forever? Do I find a way to make peace with what, what choice I made? Near the end of the novel, she actually is talking to Wentworth, and she says something to the effect of like, okay, I probably wouldn't give any advice to a young person who asked me on this, because that's too much pressure. But she kind of essentially says, Mrs. Russell, Lady Russell, not entirely wrong. And I think that when she does that, it's because she has the maturity to look at what she's already gone through. I, th- I think that it's easy for us. It has been easy for me to kind of like think that she's pining away just passively for Wentworth. But this, this idea of her tracking his ships, she's already lived the eight years of trauma. Catherine, I think it's also interesting that you point out the, the Bonaparte's escape at the end of, of, the, of the novel is, is lining up here. In the 95 adaptation with, with Kieran Hines, which I have to make a quick note here. It's pronounced Kieran. Thank you to our lovely Irish listener, Maeve, for correcting me on my anglicized Irish pronunciation of my true love, Kieran <laughs> Hines. But in that, in that production, they actually do have, you know, after Anne and Wentworth are together, they actually have... Someone say, yep, Bonaparte's gotten off Elba. It's time to hit the ships again, you know? And so it's like, I think that there is a lot of maturity that comes into these last lines that you've pointed out, Catherine. Is there anything else about 
the newspapers of this time or about Anne and Wentworth and their relation to Wentworth's profession that you wanted to touch upon before we wrap up? Sometimes if you just do a cursory read of Persuasion, you think, oh, this isn't a historical novel. You know, it's not really tied to the politics because as modern readers, we don't always recognize all those little thumbprints that are there. And contemporary readers of Austen would have seen all of these things. They would have recognized all these references. They would have known all these things. And so, you know, I, the first time I read Persuasion, I, of course, didn't know any of these things. But I, I just like the deepened understanding when you really see how much this affected people. And I really think after you have, you know, Napoleon escapes 1815, and then it's called the 100 Days, even though it wasn't actually 100 Days. <laughs> but then we have the Battle of Waterloo. And there's this huge sense of afterwards, Britain has to refigure itself out as a nation because it's been defining itself for so many years as a nation at war. And it actually does things to the economy. It does things to all these people that now their occupation is to fight and we don't actually need that many people to fight anymore. And so it's like kind of this sense of change and, you know, putting Anne as this character for what change looks like and how do we deal with change and how do we deal with difficulty? And how do we move forward when things don't always work out the way we want it to? This sense of like, we can move forward. It's not actually going to be easy. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we can figure this out. Thank you, Catherine, for joining us today and talking to us about the newspapers of the time. Please tell us where our listeners can find you online and tell us a little bit about your book, which was the reason behind all of your newspaper research, correct? So I actually include a newspaper heading at the start of every chapter, which matches the date of my book. So I had to go find all these newspapers. And my book is actually The Secret Life of Miss Mary Bennett. So it takes Mary Bennett, overlooked, awkward, dull <laughs> sister in Pride and Prejudice who never quite says the right things. And I thought, what if she was actually a spy for the British government? You know, how could I make her a spy? So the first book is about her becoming a spy. And then the next two books, you know, book two is her first like big assignment in London. And book three is Battle of Waterloo because Mary needs to be at the Battle of Waterloo as well. So I had a lot of fun just kind of really going into the newspapers and it changed my reading of half of Jane Austen's novels. But you can find me on katherinecowley.com. I'm on Twitter, Kathy Cowley. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And, and when will your books come out again? So the first book, Secret Life of Miss Mary Bennett, is already out. Books two and three will be out later this year. So by the end of 2022, they'll all be out. Very good. Love it. Thank you again so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. And you can find us on Instagram at The Thing About Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And stay tuned for the next episode in which we'll be talking about Fanny's stargazing. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.